You have heard that it was said, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Are not even the pagans doing that? Be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, good morning, church. <clears throat> you already heard from my evil twin. Um, <clears throat> and while we were watching, I was, th I was thinking what you were thinking, and that is, if I could do this by video, why show up? But I, I'm here. <clears throat> And we won't always <clears throat> get in that little croak again. It's all right. Tennessee hates me. Um, <clears throat> or the trees do. Um, the great big giant heed won't keep showing up. We're, we're going to uh, be more personal on this. But I want to talk to you about the way this is going to roll out in sermons and lessons. Normally, whenever you do a capital campaign, the preacher, uh, I don't know why, they always go to Nehemiah for one, but then they talk about giving every Sunday. I'm not going to do that. This church already knows what they need to do, and you're honorable people. You're good people. And here's where we come to talk about Jesus. We focus on Jesus, and we're going to keep focusing on Jesus, because that's who we are. And I think the more we focus on Jesus, the more we'll make all of our decisions correctly, this one and the others. Amen, church? So... If you're thinking, oh, for the next six weeks, we need to lie low or don't bring any visitors, I'm not going to be, you know, yelling, don't make me holler, don't make me shout, just turn them pockets inside out. I'm not going to be doing that sort of thing. <laughs> <clears throat> I gave it enough thought to come up with that, but I'm not going to do much more than that. I'll slip it in. It'll be very, uh, um, it'll be very sneaky. As we read uh, the Sermon on the Mount, it's very easy to... Make it a list of do this and don't do that. In fact, most people's religion, and I may, I may, I'm not going to say most. I should back off that statement. Many people's religion is based upon a do this, don't do that. We can even remember some of us when we were kids where that was appropriate. Don't touch that. Go over here and do this. Very appropriate. But as you grow older, you need to know why we don't touch that and why we do this. And it becomes less a, this is our checklist, than this is who we are. Someone last night asked my wife if it was hard to dust a piano, and then they caught themselves, and they said, there never is any dust in your house, is there? No, no, there is not. My wife's away. Uh, keep her in your prayers. She's away today up to Michigan, the Detroit area. Uh, our daughter-in-law is going to be induced tomorrow if she doesn't start uh, today. And so another grandson's being added to us, and we're slowly taking over the country. But uh, I've often said, it doesn't matter. If she's in Michigan, if I drop something on the floor, she's going to go. I, I feel a disturbance in the force. Now, does she, does she do that because she has a checklist? No, it's who she is. She keeps things nice. That's who she is. As we get older, this is less, again, about a checklist and more about this is just who we are. And Jesus here is pushing a little bit, but we might not be aware of where he's pushing. So that's where I what I want to talk about today. I'm told 
that a baker's dozen, that means 13, got that way because bakers wanted to, there was a tradition among bakers never to shortchange their customers. So if they asked for a dozen, they would count out 12 and then add one to make sure they were never shortchanged. There are companies that do that as well. They want to always do what you expect and then a bit more. We all have run across companies that don't do that. Recently, my wife went to a, a design thing she does. At, I hope that wasn't too technical. But uh, she, it's a thingy that's up there, and they do things. But uh, there was a big dinner they gave them. There was an educational thing. And then she has to have a certain amount of continuing education units every year to keep her, her standing in the field. And normally you pay for those, but no, this company paid for them. Well, she came back just singing their praises. That's gone up a couple notches because since she came back, she's received two thank you cards from the company for her coming. And she looked at me, she goes, they fed us, they did all of this for us, and then they thank us. Yeah, that's a company that's going to survive. That's a company that's going to keep on going when others have to close their, their shop because they are encouraging loyalty. They're encouraging you to come back to that place. I have, and perhaps you have as well, and this is a big deal for a Scottish fella, I have gone to places and done business with people that cost me more on purpose because I knew I could rely on them. I knew that if I called them, I wouldn't get voice menu hell. We've all been there. Uh, if you have not, then you've been in purgatory at least. Um, there was the longest time I kept a dial phone because you can't push a number and eventually they got to talk to you, but they've gotten around that somehow. Jesus calls us to be the kind of people who don't just do what the checklist says, but rather the people we are goes beyond. Not out of obligation, but that's just who we are. Have you ever been to a family's house where they want to feed you and the mom's um, love language is food? You're trapped. You're, you're going to eat. And just when you think you're about to die, thump, they put more on. I've, at times, I've wanted to throw myself on a plate as if it were a grenade to save the others. <laughs> they just want to love. They just want to keep giving. And it's an amazing thing. But Jesus is calling us to a life that goes beyond the ordinary, beyond the expected, to, to live a free life. Now, what do you think about this? You might not have thought of that when you think of <clears throat> love your enemies and that whole thing we did last week with an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And No, love them, give them more than they ask for. Don't retaliate. You might have thought, that's a horrible burden, but it is not. It is actually the release of a burden. I'll explain. People have the idea that they have to balance things out. If you hit me, I got to hit you. You hurt me, I got to hurt you. If you insult me, I got to say bad things about you. If you post something on Facebook about this thing, I've got to put about the other thing. We feel like we have this need to balance things. The Persians actually had a whole doctrine about this that had worked its way into the Jewish system of thought as well as in almost every other system of thought called dualism. That the universe had two equal powers. One was evil, one was good. And they were in a constant, non-winnable, non-endable battle between them. 
our job was to either uh, go with the darkness or go with the light and keep things in balance. You've perhaps seen the yin-yang symbol upon some oriental or um, especially Japanese, but very often Chinese and uh, Taiwanese as well. That whole idea of darkness and light has to be in balance. And I've heard even Christians talk about something being good karma, and it makes me shiver. We don't believe in karma. We're not dualists. We believe that God's power is so much greater than the power of darkness. And we also then are called to live that faith by saying, you know something? If an enemy hates me, I don't have to hate them back. I don't have to bring balance to that equation. If a neighbor mistreats me, I don't have to mistreat them. I'm under no obligation to sit in the house and think about how to mistreat that individual. Someone writes me a bad email or text, I don't have to think about a sternly worded reply. I don't have to. I can rise above the world and refuse to strike back. The world sometimes looks upon that and acts like that's a burden. Again, it is not a burden. It's the release of a burden. If you're all the time trying to make sure you've established where you are, who you are, and people don't mess with you, that's your full-time job. And that's miserable. Instead, why don't we just do it God's way? When we rise above the world, we take upon ourselves the characteristics of God. Think about this. How many people say how many bad things about God? What does he do to them? Jesus says he still gives them the sunshine and the rain. He still lets them have babies. He still gives them blessings in life, the pleasure in food, pleasure in, in the, the warmth of the sun or the cool of a breeze. God does not withdraw his blessing even when man is rough, mean, hard, and sinful. And then he turns to us and he says, be like that. Wow. If you look upon that as a burden, it's going to kill you. It is going to wear you down. And Jesus isn't trying to do that. Instead, be the kind of person, this is your reaction. Your reaction is not to seek the balance. Not to seek justice. Oh, I've told you this before. I did a experiment with some uh, psychology students at a university, and I would do this every so often, and it really sparked uh, a lot of uh, conversations that were very helpful conversations. And that is, I would take a little cadre, little group of them, to a place, normally a mall, because back in the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s, malls were alive and and growing, and uh, it was an easy place to people watch. And I would tell them, your job is, I'm going to pick a person at random. Your job is to find a reason to dislike them now. And they could, fi- they could find it. The person was too heavy, too skinny, too pretty, too ugly. Don't like the hair. I don't like the way they dressed. I don't like their attitude. Look at the way they're looking at people. You could always find something. And then I would ask them, now I want, I'm going to pick a person at random. I want you to find a reason to really, really like that person. And it was harder for them. Now, if you don't get that, let's do a little experiment with you. I want you to think of a really bad thing that happened to you. Most of you have already got a selection. Now, I want you to think of a really fantastic thing that happened to you. Most of us won't get that for a while. We have to work. 
Why? Because we focus on the negative. We focus on the hurt. And God calls us away from that. He says, let it, just let it go. You live your life above these things. So he knows this is hard. So he says, let's illustrate this. If, if you invite me to your house for dinner, and then I invite you to my house for dinner, he says, what have you gained? You both did the same thing to each other. You've, you've just shared. You've gained nothing. The world's gained nothing. But rather, do good things to people that can't do anything back. I don't know who it was that said it first. I've heard it several times, and I've seen it attributed, and I don't really trust the attributions I've seen. It goes something like a true character of an individual can be seen by the way they treat somebody who can do nothing for them in return. Now, that's a real interesting thing. What if we were to live our lives not seeking balance, but rather just doing good? Now, here's one of the things that I can also help you with in your brain. If you've ever wondered if Satan is real, he's the one telling you right now, wait, there's an exception to this. And what about this? And if I did this, then this would never happen. He is the caster of doubt, the slanderer. He will find a way to make you think, yeah, that, that sounds really good, but that doesn't really work a lot of places. Yeah, it does. If we take the whole of Jesus' teaching, we don't just take two or three verses. I got that. But here's the kind of people we are to be. We do not go for vengeance. We do not go to settle the score. We let that go. We've been called to be something different. Preacher's job is actually not nearly as hard as we like to make it out to be. I, I truly believe that. I get an awful lot of emails every week from preachers who are truly being mistreated or put into difficult areas. But most preachers, you know, we have a little bit of control over our schedule and over the way we do things. And a lot of you don't have that. And that's a blessing. And we need to, to honor that and be aware that this is a blessing. But there are some interesting challenges. Like the phone calls, will you do a funeral for this person you've never met? Why? Because they don't have a minister. Perhaps uh, the person died and they had no family in town. The family's coming in. They don't have a minister either. They just need, they need somebody from God to make it official, I guess. I'm not really sure why we have to, to do that. But you stand up and you try to preach the funeral. But we all know the funeral was really preached by the life. All we're doing is writing a couple sentences at the end of it, but we are preaching our own funeral. We are deciding what kind of person we are. There was a fella on the Isle of Skye um, that's just off the west coast of Scotland. There, there aren't six to 7,000 people on the whole island, but he was so unloved. He was famous for being a hateful individual. And I, I never met the guy. I think this is even before I was born. I was just listening to this story from a Church of Scotland pastor. And he said when he died, people were all wondering, well, who are they going to get to do the funeral? And they got this guy that was talking to us. And he said it took me, all three, uh, it took me three days of phone calls and a collie dog to get somebody to show up at that funeral. And a collie dog to get the sheep in, if you don't know what that means. Every now and then you get that. I had to do a funeral once for a fellow that the family told me. He abused us. He deserted our mother. He was a drunk. He was all this other. Uh, but, you know, we, uh, 
we love him. He's dying. Would you go see him? I walked into the room, and he started spitting at me. That was unusual. That, I can go days without that happening. <clears throat> now, he was actually tied to his bed, which gave me a little... I learned the splash zone. I, I was able to see that area and work from just outside his, his ability. He died, and then I, they called, and they said, would you do his funeral? What are you going to say? God says, live your life in such a way people are going to miss you when you're gone in a good way. Don't have good stories. One comedian once said that people say such nice things at funerals that really it makes him sad he's just going to miss his by two days. Yeah. What if we were the kind of people, though, that we left our mark? We're something different. We're beyond the world. Now, Jesus then leaps into hyperbole. And, and I didn't ask for this to be quoted today. It's the first four verses of chapter 6. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Don't let that be the reason that you do it. By the way, that's a real trap. I've caught myself being good in front of people so people would see it. I've caught myself. And it doesn't feel good when you catch yourself. Just do good because we do good. Goes further. If you do, just to be seen by them, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Why? You've already got what you wanted. You got people to look at you and say, what an amazing person. Yes, them. Yay. That's what you wanted. That's what you got. He goes further. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and on the streets to be honored by others. Can we stop just a minute? <clears throat> when I was a boy, I heard a preacher say, now, some of the Pharisees actually had a band that would go along with, no, they didn't. This is hyperbole. Nobody walks around and goes, dur, 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 dur. the guy is now giving money to a poor person. Jesus is using hyperbole because sometimes we may as well have had a trumpet. Look at us, what we did. We are so great and wonderful. I know of a church that would give goods to the poor to eat. But before they gave them, on every can and every package was stamped their church name and address. I kept thinking, I don't think that's necessary. Why don't we just give and not be concerned about who gets the credit? It goes further. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. People who give to be admired. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Again, hyperbole. I... I've met one person in my life who took this literally. He was, and we were talking about giving, and, he's, and uh, I was just a little boy, but the preacher's around and talking, and he was not a preacher. But he said, he just reached in, it's in his pocket, and whatever's there, that's what he gives. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. And one of the preachers said, I bet if you reached in your left, with your left hand and got a $100 bill, the right hand would figure it out fast. <laughs> now, I don't know who was being unkind to somebody in that room, I was a little guy, I'm not going to judge it. It's not saying, be stupid, don't think. It's saying, keep it quiet. Just keep that quiet. Do good, keep it quiet. I don't need to know what you give. I don't, I'm not, I'm not going to say if you give. We're Christians, we give. And not just in a plate on Sunday, it's just, it's who we are. I don't need to know what, I don't even know to whom, unless you need our help. We just give so God is praised, not that we are praised. 
That's a, that's a big point. That's kind of hard. We're to do good so that God is seen and admired and not us. I think that's one of the reasons why, and even on the, the short film that you just watched, I bring up very frequently that my sell-by date is coming up. I don't know when it is. I might have already passed it. Let's not look. Don't, don't lift up the, you know. Anyway, well, well, let's be fine. I, I, keep, I want to keep in my head at all times that this isn't about me and it's not mine. And that God was doing all right before I showed up and he'll be doing all right when I'm gone. My job is just to keep the story moving. Now that's something I, have, I remind myself of frequently. I worked with a bunch of ministers this last week in, uh, in Arkansas. And that's one of the things I talked to them about was this has got to be about him not you. Let's, let's work on that. And we went through the Sermon on the Mount there as well. This is to become such a part of our lives, we don't even think about it. We want God to get the glory. It says casually and automatically done as if our left hand didn't know what our right hand was doing. I'll give you an illustration of that. Um, it, when you're working on the keyboard, most of us aren't looking, all right, where's, where's the K? Where's the K? K. Okay, now I need a most of us have figured this out. If you haven't, you probably figured out your, uh, your phones and your thumbs and you know where things go or your combination lock. Most of the time, I couldn't have told you my combination if you put a gun to my head. But if you put the lock in my hand, I could open it. Make it automatic. Just this is what we do. It is just a part of our DNA spiritually. Let God witness your life. Let him give his approval. You don't need anybody else's. I'm going to say this over to the teens, but I want everybody to hear it. The world will disapprove of you because the world gets something out of it if they disapprove of you. If they disapprove of your hair, you've got to go buy their products. If they disapprove of your clothing, you've got to buy their stuff. If they dis it's going to happen. If they disapprove of the language you use, you must learn their language. They will disapprove of you because they want cattle. They don't want sons and daughters of the king. But something I've learned over the years from watching TV. You can learn from watching TV. You really can. I like to watch Pawn Stars and stuff, even though I know it's all set up. It's, it's a complete, I know it's set up. I, I get that. But I like it because it reminds me something is only worth what somebody else will buy for it. What, what they'll pay for it, rather. We like to watch American Pickers, although I have no interest in antiques. I never have. And if you're going, what? Deal with it. Um, <laughs> look at it this way. One less competition. At the, at, at, I'm, I'm not going to do it. I, I don't stop at, at garage sales either. My wife, we were driving along once. We, were, we lived in West Virginia. We were driving along once, and she goes, oh, there's, you want to just stop to see the sale? And I went, sweetie, what are the odds? that if it's not good enough to stay in that trailer, <laughs> we're going to need it. <clears throat> if you've ever restored a car, you know this. You will never get the money out of it you put in it. You just restore the car because you enjoy it. That's it. Because it's only worth what somebody will pay for it. The God of all the universe paid for you with his son. You don't need anybody else's approval. You don't need anybody else to say you're all right. You've already got it. Well, 
there's more here about giving. I had to learn to give. I did. Now, I don't want to slander my parents here because they always worked for almost starvation wages, frankly, when he could have done many other things. He served the Lord at great cost to himself. But one thing they did forget was to teach us how to give. And I learned that as I got older. I, I, we came back to America in about 86, I think it was, and we lived in a town just to the east of the, of the capital of Ohio. And um, one of our elders at that church had asked us if we could come over on a Sunday afternoon, have lunch with him. We said, sure. We went to his house. I walked in, and immediately little th things went off in my head because there wasn't much in the living room. There was a simple couch, a little, like a folding table, and a, uh, a TV on top of it. That was it. Not a big TV either. I went, oh. Well, later, we, for some reason, we had to go upstairs, and so we, we took us up, and every room was sparsely furnished. We ate at, in their kitchen. We didn't have a dining room. On, again, a folding table. Now, here's what was getting to me. The man was a high-ranking employee of the state of Ohio. And I, I don't want to give details because too many people listen to these online. Not too many people. Stop listening. No, um, what I mean is I don't want the details to, to unmask the fellow. But he was earning a lot of money. And I knew his wife worked for a doctor in town, and she earned a really good salary. Now, I wasn't going to ask him what's going on because I'm a privacy nut. I just don't ask people questions. And if they want to share something, they can share it. But inside, I'm going, does he have 18 kids in college? Uh, did, has the IRS come after this guy for some reason? I let it go, never brought it up. A few months later, a friend of mine came over from Scotland. We used to work together, and he still worked in the ministry there. He needed some help financially, and uh, so he'd come to America to find if churches would help. At the end of services, I'm greeting people at the door because that, that was one of those churches where you had to greet at the door or people hadn't been to church, so I had to be there. But I looked over and saw this elder of mine, same one, open up his wallet and pull out his check, not a checkbook, his paycheck. And he turned it over and signed it and handed it to Albert. Now, I also knew enough about the pay schedules in Ohio to know that was two weeks of his life he just signed over. So I went over to him, and I said, I'm going to call him Joe, because that wasn't his name. I said, Joe, I saw what you did. He goes, oh, I wish I hadn't. I said, but I did. Um, that was your paycheck? And he goes, well, yeah. And I said, how often do you do this? He said, not often. He said, not often enough. He said, maybe four or five times a year. Now think about that. That's two and a half months salary on top of what he already gave to the church. And I walked away from him a little bit. I'm just shaking my head, trying to get my head around it. Then I walked back, and I said, does your wife ever do that? And he goes, yeah, a couple times we've forgotten to check with the other one. I said, can you teach me? And I'm very serious. I said, can you, can you teach me? Because I've operated my life from a, a place of scarcity. Of, I've got to hold on to this. I've got to keep this. I'm afraid of a day I'll be without this. And he worked with me. And to be very honest, my wife's father did a huge amount to work on me. Always in love, always in grace. I found out early, you cannot outgive 
her debt. He will find a way to be generous, and nobody knows. Now they do. I've outed him, but it's, it's just staggering. Those two men, I owe an awful lot to because they have allowed me to open up my hands and let it go. As the early, one of the earliest Christian writings said, do not receive your hands op- leave your hands open to receive from God, but closed when it's time to give. They taught me this. I owe them. When the world constantly bombards us with get, 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 and it does, where can you go without advertisements? Not even the bathroom. I don't know what women's are like. I'm told they have chandeliers and spas in there. But, and the guys, you stop along the interstate and you go to the restroom, there is, um, there, the ads are right there. They're all everywhere. They, I guess they're there for you to read uh, while you're spending some time in the facility. But the point is, no matter where you go, advertisements, advertisements, get, get, get. Where Jesus is saying, you be the people that don't mind when it goes away, and in fact, give some extra. Give a little bit more. And it's not just money. It's to give your time. It's to give up your rights sometimes. You have a right to balance the books from time to time with anger or whatever. Jesus says, just lay that aside. God has the right to go after us. Um, By the way, my staff right now is wondering what's going on because it's supposed to be a 15-minute sermon, but they got me up 10 minutes early. So... um, I'm using all my time. Anyway, um, the, the, the point is, we don't have to balance the books. We can just give, and the Lord provides. That's the way it works. If you walk like Jesus, though, people may look at you and not know that you give at all, and that's all right. The Lord knows. There are a few things, in my opinion, lower and more reprehensible than anonymous attacks or drive-bys on the Internet. But there are a few things more righteous than anonymous giving, anonymous doing of good. In my life, people have, have done good for me anonymously. And I've always wanted to find them and thank them. Knowing I cannot, though, makes me want to do it for somebody else. There have been thousands of people whose names we'll never know who helped us have the scripture we have today, who wrote the hymns, we sang today, who created this that we could be in today. They built safe places for our children to learn about Jesus. And and I and you owe so much to these people. They're anonymous to us, but they are known to him. And that's the way it's supposed to be. Mark, would you bring your group back up? And I'll step aside to great cheers. There is a long line of those who have gone before. I can't thank John Bunyan, but he he wrote Pilgrim's Progress, and that actually had quite a lot to do with bringing me back into line. I'll I'll never meet C.S. Lewis till I get to glory, but he did an awful lot to bring me here. And other people printed the books, and other people set up bookshops, and other people started talking about them. The lines between me and God are so many. Thousands of people went ahead. Just like with you, God's calling us to take our place in that line. That's what the message of the Sermon on the Mount is. Would you stand, please? 
I have no kicker, no sign-off slogan. I just have to say this. I love you. God loves you. Live as if you know God loves you, and that's all you need. May God bless you this week.